This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is the Real Estate Hour on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, Bob Lane. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Real Estate Hour here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Bob Lane, a former adjunct professor of real estate law and transactions here at the real, at the Wharton School. And my day job for 40-plus years is a commercial, practicing commercial real estate lawyer as a partner at the law firm of Stevens & Lee. We're live at noon Eastern, <clears throat> followed by the... Uh, Every Friday, followed by Behind the Markets at 1 p.m. Eastern. As always, you can access past shows via our on-demand feature. If you're listening between 12 noon and 1 p.m. Eastern on Friday, July 13th, we're here in the studio for your live questions, so please call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. If you're listening at any other day or time, please email your questions or comments to businessradio at SiriusXM.com. I'll be happy to address them on my next show or by email. So again, if you have a question, you want to join our conversation or share some experiences during today's discussion, please give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON, 1-844-942-7866. And again, you can follow us on Twitter at BizRadio111. We've got a really interesting show today. I'm pretty excited about this, and it might be fun for all of our listeners because we're going to have a bicoastal uh uh, discussion of luxury real estate and other kinds of uh, high-end and, and, and challenging uh, living spaces. So for the first 30 minutes, we have Sally Forster-Jones, who's one of uh, the foremost real estate professionals in the in the West Coast market, primarily in Beverly Hills, Los Angeles. She's going to talk about all the celebrities and very high-end uh, properties that she's moved. She's had countless uh, of those and frequently sets new real estate records. We're going to introduce her in a few minutes. For the second half of our show today, we're going to have Zach Scheinberg, who's actually one of our rotating hosts, and many of you have heard him before. And Zach's in New York. He's going to be phoning in on the East Coast and talking about uh, the New York market. But first, um, Sally, are you with us? I am. Great. Well, let me welcome you to the Real Estate Hour. It's terrific to have you on. Um, You have just done amazing things, and uh, I'm going to really highlight some of them during the course of our conversation. But maybe you could start off telling uh, our listeners a little bit about your background. You've been in this business a long time. You're, you're quite highly re- renowned, uh, not only on the West Coast, but all over the country. Uh, how did you get into this? Where'd you start? Wow, wow. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have been in real estate for quite some time, and, and it all started very innocently because I never had any intention of being in real estate. I happened to start out being a an elementary school teacher and said, mm, not for me. But what I did was I purchased a home. Um, I had no money. I was newly married. And so I purchased a very modest home. It happened to have been $31,250 and um, borrowed $3,100 from my parents had the seller carry back a note of 3000 purchased the property for basically no money. This was going to be my residence. And I fixed it up a little bit um, because it really needed it. 
and sold it uh, a year later for $45,000. And I said, oh, my God, this is absolutely the most brilliant thing. I must go into real estate. It was it's like, like printing money, huh? Wow. Wow. <laughs> it was like, oh, can't believe it. So. So that was really the start of my career. Well, that's a that's a great start, um, and you know we all know that uh, that this good fortune is and timing is everything because uh, obviously if somebody bought something in uh, 2007 and tried to sell it in 2009, a year and a half later things might have been different. But you, you were probably coming up well, as I was during the days when it just seemed like real estate could go just would go up, up, up and would never change. Yes, no, no, that was true. That was true. But it was uh, it was very, very exciting for me. I had uh, been a psychology major in college and real estate and business was the furthest thing from what I was looking at. But um, it went to this, you know, from there I went into uh, all different types of real estate from residential to commercial to property management to mortgage brokerage. And now I am in luxury real estate. So luxury real estate for our listeners um, can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different marketplaces. So I think if one is in Akron, Ohio, or uh, uh, even the suburbs of Philadelphia can mean one thing. When we're talking about luxury real estate in uh, Beverly Hills, Bel Air, Malibu, Hornby Hills, uh, we're talking about a different kind of animal, aren't we, Sally? We we are. Our Our prices are... Are, are quite different than some other parts of the country. Uh, luxury real estate here starts at, I'm going to say, about $5 million, but that is not our... That's like a starter home, right? right? That is like <laughs> our starter in, in luxury. It's We have properties then looking at uh, 10, 20, 30, you know, 40, 50, and, and hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's a very exciting uh, exciting marketplace. Well, just a few years ago, you set uh, a record, I understand, for the most expensive sale ever in Beverly Hills, selling to uh, Marcus Pearson, the Swedish billionaire and the creator of Minecraft. How much did that home go for? Yes, I did sell that that home. Uh, well, the asking price on that was $85 million. We uh, sold that for $70 million, and that is in Beverly Hills, and to this day, it's the highest price sale in Beverly Hills. Now, that, now, that's kind of interesting, and you and I have talked about this, uh, about the asking price and the selling price. So when you get into that kind of money, um, it's sort of like wine. Um, I'm going to digress a, a little bit because I know a little bit about wine. I know more about real estate, but I know that there's some wines that you're paying <clears throat> huge amounts of money because they're, they're not so because they're so much better than any other wine, but because they're rare. And a lot of people want them, and there's not enough to go around. So there's a certain point where you get what you pay for in terms of quality, and then there gets to be a point where there's competitive people really want this special, special property, whether it's a bottle of wine or, in this case, real estate. So I'm imagining that when you set a price at $85 million and we're going to come to another one, the highest-priced residential property maybe in history that you've had the listing for um, – how, how do you get that number, and what do you expect it to really sell for? Do you do you price it high to attract people, or do you feel that that might scare some people off? How, how does that work? Well, it, it it really depends upon the property, and it depends upon the marketing strategy. In uh, in lower priced properties, it's a very very different mechanism on uh, on creating excitement. In the higher priced and the super luxury, it's absolutely just like what your analogy is to wine. 
a a buyer is going to want a, a super luxury buyer wants the exclusivity wants something unique and special that this property has and so it is a question of really highlighting what that is and then at that point price almost doesn't matter if the it, we're talking about you know the buyers of these types of properties are billionaires and so they can well afford it but they definitely also want to feel like they're not being taken advantage of but if they want a property then they want it and so you know and and it's really a question of what it what is it that it makes it that exciting and so the pricing on these properties are arbitrary uh, there is nothing magical about a particular price it is it's really there as a marketing strategy to create the excitement for the property so and I, I hate to uh, really abuse metaphors and, and analogies, but sticking with the wine example, since you seem to seem to appreciate it, um, provenance. And for some of our listeners, provenance uh, in wine and in real estate sort of means what's its history? You know, who's owned it? Where did it come from? How is it maintained or owned or stored? Is, is that relevant in some of these properties? So if this if a property was owned by somebody famous before, somebody else really wants it. Very, very much so. I mean, Los Angeles and, and Beverly Hills, it, this is all Hollywood. It is all, uh, a lot of it is just the glamour of the property, but it's really the glamour of the lifestyle and the history. Who lived there? What was exciting you know, about their lives? And, and people want to you know, associate with that. And, and the, just the whole magic of, of Hollywood and, and Beverly Hills and, and zip codes and all of those things are very, very important. So whenever, I have a, whenever a property has a Hollywood history, it is something that is very, very much uh, you know, marketed uh, on my end because that does bring attention. It brings publicity. It brings viewers. It brings excitement. And ultimately, it does bring a higher price. And we're going to get some great examples of some great stories that, that I know you've told me about that we're going to come to in a moment. But first, let me welcome any new listeners who have joined us since the top of the hour. You're listening to Business Radio. Uh, the Real Estate Hour on Sirius XM 111. This is your host, Bob Lane, a practicing commercial real estate lawyer and a former adjunct professor of real estate law and transactions here at the Wharton School. We're talking with Sally Foster-Jones, one of the foremost experts uh, in luxury real estate in the country and certainly maybe the most foremost, uh, the most foremost, that's great English, Bob, <laughs> the foremost expert on the West Coast and certainly in the uh, Hollywood area. Uh, and in our second uh, part of the hour, we're going to have someone from New York, uh, one of our former, ho- one of our rotating hosts, Zach Scheinberg, who's going to be talking a little bit about that market. But in the meanwhile, listeners, if you want to join our conversation or if you have any insights about what makes luxury or exciting real estate in other cities across the country, please join our conversation at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And we're live on Friday, July thirteen. If you're listening on this date. Uh, you'll get us. Uh, otherwise, we'll uh, get back to you with uh, next show or on uh, by email. So, Sally, one of the uh, properties that you're very famous for having listed was uh, you'll tell me about what it was because it's a really uh, exciting talking about uh, a trophy property. One hundred and fifty million dollars was the listing price on this property. Tell us about it. 
Well, this property was a uh, property that was in Homeby Hills, which is a very exclusive area um, adjoining Beverly Hills and Bel Air. And it was uh, called the Spelling Manor. It was owned uh, by Aaron and Candy Spelling. And uh, you'll know Aaron Spelling from all the, the TV shows, you know, 90210 and Love Boat and on and on. And so uh, this property was uh, at the time owned by his by Candy Spelling because Aaron had passed. And it was I, uh, up for sale. I put that up for sale at $150 million. Very, very amazing property. And, and and what what made you pick 150 million as opposed to 140 million or 190 million or where did that how do you come to a number like that? Well, the uh, again as I said, all these numbers are are somewhat arbitrary. Um, but 150 million at the time was the most expensive listed property in the entire world. So the marketing plan here was it to make it the most the most famous property in the world. And so uh, the price was a price that was a very nice, big, round number of $150 million. See, somebody like me would have made $149,999,999.99, but I guess, uh, you know, that's, we're not selling uh, shaving cream, right? No, no. And here, <laughs> the plan was really to make it the most expensive, not yeah. to make it sound like it was less expensive. I, I know. I'm teasing. But that's, uh, yep. So so what did it, what um, you, you did sell that property, I understand. I did. I did. I, I sold the property. Uh, I did. Uh, you know, it was the most famous property. I had buyers calling me and looking at it, um, you know, wanting to look at it. No one really could get in to see it unless they showed me the money. But uh, really from uh, throughout the world, and we did sell it for $85 million. Which is just in itself is outstanding. Yes, and the $85 million until two years ago was the, um, well, at the, the most expensive property ever sold in uh, in Homeby Hills, you know, Bel Air, uh, Greater Los Angeles area. Now, I want to shift. I want to shift gears a little bit, um, and I know you have some more of those uh, stories I'd love to hear about. But now we're we're moving into um, at least here on, on the East Coast, we have a lot of very high end luxury properties uh, that were worth much more. Um, they're mansions. Uh, they've got they've got provenance. They've got history. Here, certainly here in the main line of Philadelphia, which is a famous area, and movies have been made about around it. But we find that the millennials they don't want those old stately homes. They want the the McMansions. They want things brand new, even if they're less uh, stately or less interesting. Um, do you find that out there, or is the Hollywood market uh, different in that respect? Uh, uh, yes and no. Yes and no. It is uh, millennials as a whole. Um, they d- do have a different outlook on on what they want. Uh, the but and we're talking we ha- about millennials, of course, who have a lot of money. Yes, um, correct, yeah, yeah, correct, so, correct. Uh, and there uh, are lots of those. Uh, but the uh, what one of the things that we had is is there are two different types of properties that are of interest. Um, uh, and there are those that are these stately properties, like these, the Spelling Manor, which has a lot of land and is you know huge property, fifty uh, fifty six thousand square feet uh, home and um, seventy one thousand actually under a roof. It was just a huge wow. property and you know on almost five acres of land. But the 
the other one that we spoke about, which uh, was sold to Marcus Pearson, which was in Beverly Hills, that is more of a type of property that a uh, millennial or younger, um, younger, very, very wealthy person would want. Uh, Marcus Pearson at the time was, was 35 years old uh, when he purchased it, but this is something that has less land but has drop-dead views. So views... And uh, are very, very uh, have been very, very important in Los Angeles, and have been a huge selling point and attraction, particularly to the international buyer, and also the style, the style of the homes that millennial, uh, I'm going to say millennial types would be uh, are attracted to are the very sleek contemporary uh, type of homes. So, um, so something that is just more compact, less land. Very, uh, you know, contemporary and great views. So views, of course, are one aspect of what we famously say uh, about real estate, that the key is location, location, location. So uh, I guess we're not really talking about school districts in this case. Uh, when you talk about views and, and land and what you can do with it for these uh, luxury, high-end, very high-end trophy properties. Uh, but, correct. I mean, uh, school districts are, are not in the equation. Most of... Uh, so many of the millennials um, on the uh, the super luxury, well, they they are they may not be married, they may be single, they may be couples, or they may have children, and their children are in private schools. So right. the schools are really not not really an issue. Of course, for our listeners, if you have uh, other parts of the country where you're dealing with or looking at these kind of properties that we're focusing on on this show, uh, please let us know because I think in some areas, some school districts, especially in the middle parts of the country, can be more important. It's not a matter of money, but uh, maybe the better schools are, uh, are the, the, the uh, I would say, the, uh, the, the high-ticket uh, zip codes in some areas. But um, Well, in, in keeping with that, Beverly Hills, uh, you know, again, the 90210 zip code, Schools are a very big issue. The schools in Beverly Hills uh, are are uh, excellent, and people do purchase in the area for their schools. But when you're talking about the super luxury, the schools are not as significant because they tend to be going right. to the private schools. Actually, you know, I, I said I would come back to that zip code, and uh, you and I recognize that zip code. And I'm wondering whether all of our, our listeners do. I, I know that when I took my, my children, who are now in their 30s, but back when they were adolescents, uh, to the West Coast uh, on a vacation, uh, all they wanted to do was to go to 90210, to that zip code, because of the TV show that uh, was then so popular. Uh, tell us a little bit about what is that zip code meaning these days, and what what was its... Uh, it's become really a, a, a trademark. Well, it is a uh, zip code, the 90210 zip code, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I'm assuming it was, uh, became famous because of the TV show, yeah. but which was, all, you know, which was broadcast throughout the country. And so anywhere in the country, and I do travel uh, throughout, uh, uh, I mean, not only the country, throughout the world, uh, throughout the world, that zip code is a very, very famous zip code. So... I have been in, in, invited to speak in, in various different parts of the world, in China and other places, just because of that 90210 zip code. So it's a it's been world renowned. Um, what it in in it just denotes um, exclusivity and uh, that whole Hollywood feel and, and luxury, and, and so that is what it conjures up 
in people's minds throughout the world. Yeah, so it's become uh, like a label. It's become it's co- become a brand. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let me just welcome any new listeners who have come in since our last break. Uh, you're listening to the Real Estate Hour on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Bob Lane, a former adjunct professor of real estate law here at the Wharton School and a practicing commercial real estate lawyer. And we're talking with Sally Foster-Jones, one of the foremost experts on luxury real estate in the country. Uh, And if you're listening and you want to join us on Friday, July 13th, please don't hesitate to call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So, Sally, we're talking about what millennials are looking for in real estate. Um, and I, I think we've, we've sort of implied that, that the uh, celebrities um, look for something very different. Um, but I, I suspect that uh, some of these celebrities, whether they're sports celebrities or, or, or movies or, or music, um, you know, do, do they seem to have a theme that they all have? Or are they different? Does it matter whether they're, um, you know, a, a football player versus a movie star or a rock star? Well, there is uh, there is um, uh, there there are some things in common and some things that are are specific. The the um, the things that are in common with celebrities is that they do want to have a property that has some privacy. That. Um, uh, you know they're concerned about media and par- uh, paparazzi and and all of that, and so privacy is critical. Uh, just you know, long driveways, gated, uh, uh, you know, properties that people cannot look in on them. So that is something that is in common with all the celebrities. They're also depending upon the uh, what they who they are and what their specifically uh, specific needs are. Uh, but they do want something that is unique and special about a property, whatever it is. Uh, you know, if it's a ball player, you know, they they are going to want to have you know something where uh, you know they can you know they can ha- have their sports, they can have you know games, they can have whatever. But so they want these, basketball courts and tennis right, courts correct. and gymnasiums and indoor everything. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it's you know there's certain things that are almost standard now in luxury, which is, uh, you know, you, you have your pool, you have you know a media room or a theater, you have an office, you have a gym, you have various different things. I have um, you know, and and what and there's unique features that uh, someone is going to be looking for or that's going to be attractive. So they're always looking for something that's going to be a little bit different that can stand out. I, I just went and visited a property uh, recently that's under construction, and they were putting in a, a whole medical suite yeah. in, in, you know, in one of the areas of the property because, you know, if anyone's going to have any medical treatment and they're a celebrity, they didn't want anyone to know. Or, you know, you know gyms and, and spas and, uh, and all of those things. So a lot of it is, is the, the needs of a particular buyer and and if it's a developer who's developing a property they're anticipating what might be a need or a want or something that is unique and special and i can imagine certainly some of the the older uh you know billionaire very insanely wealthy uh, buyers uh, they don't necessarily even have to be a celebrity uh medical and health uh concerns could be uh maybe uh, the, the the most important along with privacy in terms of having those facilities uh, available, right, right. So, so there's that. But 
frequently, uh, you know, most of the luxury properties have, you know, uh, have like some type of a spa type of an area, massage area. Uh, you know, gym is is almost standard, so yeah. everyone has a gym in, in in a super luxury property. Well, um, now, Sally, you you, I think you alluded to this when you were talking about in the introduction that you've got a degree in psychology, um, and sort of came to. Uh, to a lot of what you do with uh, that awareness of human nature and what makes people tick. And obviously it's implicit in a lot of the things that you've been explaining. Uh, do you find that in your daily life uh, that that background is helping you do what you do? Absolutely. I, I, I have psychology comes into play every single day, pretty much all day long. I'm de- dealing with, um, you know, this is very emotional. A home is very, very emotional, and it's and it's not a logical thing. It's not you may think you want, uh, you know, one thing you want a contemporary home, and you wind up buying a Spanish. You, it, it is really not a uh, something that you intellectually uh, understand or connect with all the time. It is an emotional feeling, and it's and so in selling, it is really the emotional experience. So I am always painting the picture of lifestyle for the clients. How are they going to live there? How are they going to feel? What are they going to be, uh, you know, doing? And how is that, again, an emotional level? What is that emotional tug that's going to be getting to them? So that's in one aspect. The other part is that, you know, you, you have, a, uh, if it's a couple, you may have a, 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 a husband who wants one thing, a, buyer, a, a wife who wants another, and, and I have to be the one who's there mediating, <laughs> you know, and frequently, I, you know, I, I keep on reminding myself that I'm the, I'm the voice of reason, but it's not really reason. It's the emotional, the emotional connection and, and just, uh, you know, understanding and, and uh, just working with the, with the client's uh, to move things along. So you've got to be a, not only uh, a, a real estate professional, uh, but you've got to be a psychotherapist, maybe a marriage uh, counselor. I, I, I wish we had had you and uh, my my wife and I, and I'll uh, uh, won't take more in a second, but we bought a church a few years ago, a pr- uh, operating church right here off Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia with pews and everything else uh, from the congregation and turned it into a home. And I'm telling you, we could have used, it was wonderful. We're in there for two and a half years now. But the process of envisioning that, um, at number one, and then making it happen was uh, quite a challenge for us, which we met, fortunately, but I think we could have used somebody like you to work with us. Well, that's, you know, <laughs> you know that's one of the things, you know, you can give me a call, you know, on, on a, uh, <laughs> a side, on the side here, I'm happy to help you. Yeah. So, so, um, so when you said like building the story, so I could... One of the things that that church taught me is that my wife and I were unusual in that we could envision, walk in there and see how that could be a home. Most people from everything I've heard and most of my practice, commercial real estate, not residential, but certainly over 40 years I've had my share, especially with some high-end clients, um, is that people can't even envision remodeling a bathroom. I don't want that house because look at that old bathroom. So with these homes, I think most of these people I would have guessed are going to be coming in and totally remaking some of these homes. Is that part of it? That is. And, and what I do is I do come into a property um, that I'm going to be selling. And this is, you know, on, on every level, uh, just and, and look at it and say, okay, um, you know, just this is how people, the current people are living. But from a new buyer, they're not going to really connect with what they see. 
so frequently will I'll make suggestions on, uh, you know, painting, changing, doing, uh, not rebuilding, but just on on a on a very cosmetic level, or re uh, just just removing the furniture and putting in staged furniture on a newer home, on a new home, every property or vacant home, every property that I work with, I have that staged because what I'm trying to um, really demonstrate is really, again, lifestyle. How How is the buyer going to feel? How are they going to connect with the property? Because people as a whole absolutely do not have the imagination to look at a property like you did and say, oh, my God, I, you know, this is what it's going to look like, and I can make it, and here's my vision. That is not the norm. The norm is, no, they, you know, unless you, they can't imagine, you know, just moving a chair from one area to another and what that's going to even do as far as feel of the property and, and connectivity. So it's very, very important uh, and, and one of the things that I clearly do on all my properties, whether they're luxury or not, is is look at lifestyle, look at how it presents, and make it uh, feel like it's going to be just more user-friendly to uh, to someone who's going to be coming in to look at the home to possibly purchase it. And, and that's where someone with your wealth of experience and insight and and just knowledge of this area uh, comes in. And, and I know we're running out of time, and I know you have to go, but I've got to ask you this one last question based on what we've just been talking about. So for moderately priced properties and moderate price in different markets could be six figures, seven figures, uh, you're in the eight-figure uh, and, and up. Uh, arena, but uh, staging is very important. I, I've learned, and most people have learned. In this area, when you're building a story or a theme, is it buyer by buyer? Would you restage a house given how much is, is it, that wouldn't be economically feasible for most moderately priced homes? But would you restage a house for a specific buyer? I don't. What I look at uh, with a property is who is with this particular, whatever the particular property is, who is the target buyer? And I'm, not, you know, I'm not always correct, but are they going to be younger, older couples, married? You know, what, you know, kids? What is the makeup of the home as to who the target buyer is going to be? And that's where I go with. And and I'm correct most of the time. Sometimes I am not. Yeah, I was uh, guessing that maybe with some of these homes. There could be buyers from the Middle East. There could be buyers from Asia. There could be buyers just from our, you know, Silicon Valley, uh, you know, billionaires, um, and that they might be looking at different things. But and, and some of that is going to be with the style of the home. Yeah. Certain types of homes will appeal to the international, like you said, an Asian buyer has a di- or a Middle Eastern buyer typically looks for something that's different than a, a, a Silicon Valley buyer. They just have a the type that they're looking for. So the target, so I, I, first thing is, is who's the target buyer? Again, it's, it's not always correct. And, and the spelling uh, manner, which I was uh, sharing with you earlier, uh, I was looking for a billionaire somewhere in the world. And, and a, a property, which is a huge property, and, and you know, both in, in square footage of the home and the land, and someone who would be much more, more established. And the buyer happened to be a 22-year-old from the U.K. So, you know, I was, they did want this property. They did want an establishment property, but it was not my original targeted buyer. Uh, well, 
We do need to take a short break. And Sally, you've been very generous with your time because you only signed on for not quite 30 minutes. And I know we're, we're just running a little bit over. So I just really want to thank Sally Foster Jones, one of the foremost experts in luxury real estate and certainly the star of Beverly Hills and real estate. This has been just fascinating. So thank you very much, uh, Sally. Uh, listeners, when we come back, we're going to have Zach Scheinberg, one of our rotating hosts, and we're going to talk about the New York market. And again, if you want to join our conversation, uh, during the break, please call us at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We're live in the studio on Friday, July thirteenth, and can take your calls. Otherwise, we'll respond uh, if you email us um, or uh, follow us on on Twitter. So uh, we'll be right back. And again, Sally, thanks so much, and I hope we can uh, have you on another time. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.